Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. On the line is MLB Network host Robert Flores, who has just jumped into the podcast arena with his new Almost Champions podcast. But most importantly, Robert, you were born in Houston and raised in Houston, and I love that you always wear your Houston pride. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I, I still have a lot of family and friends in in Houston, and I'm rooting hard for the Rockets and the Texans and, of course, the Astros. So that's something that will never change no matter where I live. Well, thanks so much for doing this. And I feel this kinship to you because we share the same name. We were born both in July, just about a year to the day almost. And I'm just curious, like what part of town did you grow up? Where'd you grow up in Houston? I went to Dobie High School. So that's sort of, that's the Alameda Mall, uh, Baybrook, Baybrook Mall area, south, you know, towards Clear Lake, that area headed towards Galveston, about half hour from, from downtown Houston. And I've you know, grew up there, born and raised there and just stayed in the same school district, elementary school, middle school and, and high school. And, and then uh, I left uh, Houston in, uh, in 1992. You went to U of H too, right? I did. I, I did. I, I went to University of Houston from uh, 1988 to 1992. So during the Andre Ware years, right? Yeah, uh, I I would see Andre strolling around campus every now and then. I believe I was a sophomore when he won the, the Heisman Trophy. And uh, after Andre, it was uh, David David Klingler, and those are some good times. They they'd play in the Astrodome, and they were running up the score and scoring on nearly everybody. So that was definitely a good time. I was trying to think of anybody who reps this city nationally harder than you. The two big names I came up with were Jim Nance and Jeff Van Gundy. And <laughs> let me just say, I never saw the JVG Houston Love Fest coming. Did you? No, um, it's funny because he had such a strong connection and still has a strong connection with with the New York Knicks. But, you know, it just goes to show you, look, there's um, there's a lot of coaches and athletes that, you know, they're maybe not from there. But once they spend time there, they end up wanting to never leave, even after their playing days are over. I can think of Tracy McGrady as a is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, he got to Houston and still has strong ties to the city. I believe still makes his home there. But it, it, it's a special place, and there's a lot of special people there, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, Van Gundy will have the Texans winning a Super Bowl, or so. You know, he, <laughs> he he's not afraid to go out there. Uh, before we get to the, your podcast, Almost Champions, I, I'm dying to ask you about that incredible Astros World Series tribute you put together. Uh, If anybody didn't see that, you know, it's up on YouTube right now. I just type in Robert Flores and Houston Astros. Oh, really? It is? I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, You understand better than anyone how much it meant to have somebody nationally who could convey what this meant for us in Houston and the diehard Astros fans. I mean, who else could convey the sentiment that that you said in the piece? Uh, You said, this one is for J.R. Richard, for Don Wilson, and for Dickie Thon. Names that aren't household but should have been. All bright talents dimmed for different reasons well before their time. And, and that part chokes me up every time. Look, if uh, there were so many, there were so many near misses for that franchise. And for those guys in particular, J.R. Richard and Dickie Thon and Don Wilson, who had various degrees of and levels of, of tragedy in, in their 
in their career, it, it just kind of symbolized just the whole kind of star-crossed nature of the of that franchise. And so many near misses and shoulda, woulda, couldas and bad trades. You know, Joe Morgan was started out as a Houston Astro, and then they traded him to the Cincinnati Reds. So it was just this sense of they finally did it. In a lot of ways, it was just so unbelievable. You know, I, I remember going to game one of the 86 National League Championship Series against the Mets. The Astros were one of those teams where they were always involved in epic series and epic games, but were always on the wrong end of it. You know, in 1980, a, a National League Championship Series, an unbelievable five-game series against the Phillies. They come up on the wrong end. 86, same thing. They come up short against the Mets. So this time, in an epic series, they were the ones that did just enough to to walk away with the trophy. Do you remember in 86, were you, were you watching game six at school like I was yeah, in high school? Yeah, absolutely. I remember um, trying to think. It was – I remember the game it, – it, it started when school was still in session. And then by the time it – because it went into extra innings, uh, I believe I had made it home. I lived – probably about, it was about a seven minute drive if that from the high school to door to door from my high school to to the where I lived and I remember jumping in into my car and then getting there and, and seeing the the bitter end I think I was actually in my house when Billy Hatcher hit that home run off the uh, off the netting but yeah I mean it, it was a it was a brutal ending and it was kind of just encapsulated what had been the nature of that franchise. And, you know, 2005, they come up short. They do make it to the World Series, but Jeff Bagwell wasn't really Jeff Bagwell by then. You know, in 2004, they they really had a chance to to go to the World Series. So there were all these things that culminated with them finally getting over the hump in 2017. How long did it take you to put that piece together? Was that something that you had thought about your the whole time you were at uh, that that work? I told uh, I was jokingly telling my bosses uh, in in June or July of that year that when they win the World Series, I'm going to put together a video essay. And, uh, you know, I would jokingly tell them, uh, uh, hey, the I wrote the essay. It's about two and a half hours long. I'll try to see (laughs) if I can trim it down. And um, so, yeah, it was something that I had thought about for a while and it it didn't take very long to (laughs) for it to, to, to write it and put it. You know, I didn't put it together. Uh, good people at uh, MLB Network you know, put all the pieces and images and uh, edit it together. But it was it was definitely one of the more satisfying things I've been, I've been a part of. Who were you with and, you know, what when you were watching Game 7 and, and what was your reaction for that final out? I couldn't believe it. I, that's all I kept saying. I was I, I was on the set. You know, we were coming on right after the, the game was over in, in preparation to toss to our crew out at Dodger Stadium. And I was just sitting on the set going, I can't believe that they did it. I can't believe they finally they finally did it. It was just great to see. The only thing I wish two things. One, I wish it could have been there, too. I wish it could have been in, in, at Minute Maid Park because uh, that would have been uh, that would have been amazing. Tears? Any tears? Oh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it was it's just, you know, the the thing that with with teams, no matter where you live, is that the teams and the sports, they they really link the generations. They are the fandom is passed down from one generation to the other. So when you see your team do something that is unexpected or they've never done before, you immediately think about all the times 
growing up and, and watching with your, with, with your dad or your grandparents or, or, or mom or brother and sister. So you, you, you think about that and you think about some, how some of those people are no longer, no longer with us and, and how, how much they'd get a kick out of it if they're around. I'm going to circle back to the Astros, but speaking of the almost champions that were of all those Astros years, your podcast, tell us about almost champions. Yeah, it's a uh, podcast uh, that uh, my my son and I have put together. We're doing it on our own. It's something uh, that I've wanted to do for a while and thought about for a while. I love long form storytelling. I love podcasts like Serial and, and things like that. And uh, I wanted to see, well, what if we did something where we focus on a team that comes up just short? And, you know, being a native Houstonian, I'm obviously familiar with that uh, with that subject. So we came up with the idea uh, in in the summer and we've been working on it ever since. And the latest episode is up now on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and uh, Spreaker.com. So he was my producer. He was the editor. And, and uh, it was it was a really good time uh, getting a chance to work closely with him. Yeah, I think it was within the first minute that you dropped in how you know the experience better than ever, yeah. anyone else. You dropped in the Astros. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel a special kinship with, with fans in Minnesota that uh, uh, have, have had some near misses, especially recently. But also we wanted to focus uh, on the 98 Vikings because, you know, 2018, it would uh, 20 seasons since then. Um, I think that they are a team that, uh, in a lot of ways still resonates because of the, because of the stars that were on that team. And I also think that they were a part of an era that kind of ushered in the new era, uh, or the current era of what we see football, a lot of points, stretching the field, throwing the ball deep. Uh, they threw the ball a ton. It was a high powered offense. And of course, that's really what the NFL is, is built on now. High powered offenses, uh, despite what we saw in the, uh, in, in the Super Bowl. There's an important Texans connection on that Vikings roster. You got to know who it is, right? Uh, let me think. Shoot. No, tell me. Uh, it's uh, Kylie Wong, an original Texan. Oh, that's right. That's right. He was an original Texan. I forgot about that. Shoot, I wish I should have uh, reached out to him. I mean, uh, we talked with about, I think, about six to eight uh, former players and, and coaches. We did speak with Brian Billick. He was really good. And, you know, I swung for the fences and reached out to Randy Moss and, and Randall Cunningham and Chris Carter. And unfortunately, they, they declined. But they weren't the only ones. There were probably three more that uh, – Three other guys that just didn't want to do it. You know, I don't. I don't blame them. Look, that was a. I can't imagine what that would have been like to to be a part of that team. You work so long and hard, and you suffer a loss like that. It's not something I want to talk about either. I guess. Is it too much of a spoil to to mention that you did get kicked out of a church trying to get an interview? <laughs> no, but <laughs> people should definitely check out uh, episode two for how all that played out. And how, you know, Randall Cunningham's church, how that plays out in, in the episode. That, that's one of the that's one of my favorite parts of of the uh, of the series that uh, I, I got a kick out of it. And uh, ho hopefully people get a get a chuckle out of it. All right. Growing up and you're about my age, so you'll know this. So the, the guys that I think of uh, when I think of receivers with great hands, I start off with Steve Largent. And then, you know, I thought, oh, he's got the best hands I've ever seen. And then Chris Carter came along and I thought, oh, there, there's nobody that can be better than Chris Carter, who is, of course, on that Vikings team. But, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, he is Oof, like taking yeah. it to another level. I mean, is he the is he the guy now? Is he the 
best uh, wide receiver hands that you've seen in, in your life? Um, yeah, I, I think if you look at total total package hands, route running, and production, I think he's the best. You know, I know I know Antonio Brown has has a strong case, but I I think that uh, what Hopkins has done. Remember, Antonio Brown has had Ben Roethlisberger to play for, uh, to play with his entire career. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, my lord, uh, we we could spend the entire that that's a podcast in in of itself. All the uh, quarterbacks that he's played with, and no matter who's been throwing him the ball, he has produced and he has produced big. And he also really, uh, you know, he started his career. Andre Johnson was on the other side, but for the most part, he has not had a consistent compliment. Uh, Will Fuller could be that guy, but unfortunately, he has a problem staying healthy. So I, I think he's, uh, I think he's incredible. Um, I think they're on the right track. They got him. They got, Desha- uh, of course, uh, Deshaun Watson. They need to address the offensive line. They've got to figure out a way to protect Watson because he's too valuable. He's too good. And also the division has gotten significantly better, especially when you consider what the Colts look like and how much money they have to spend. Yeah, and their schedule is going to get 100 times more difficult next year, the the quality of quarterbacks they're going to face. But you mentioned Deshaun, and, and I want to take you back to a guy in your documentary, which is Randall Cunningham and the quarterback for the Vikings in 1998. To me... Uh, he is the guy that started this whole wave of the Deshaun Watsons, Russell Wilson, Michael Vick, these incredibly athletic quarterbacks. I mean, you, there's no image to me that is more quintessential Randall Cunningham and where I felt like, oh, this could all change is when you see Randall Cunningham get flattened almost on, I think it was a Monday night mm-hmm. game. Yeah, it was a Monday night game. Against, was it against the Giants? It was against the Giants. I believe it was Carl, uh, Carl Banks, you know, sort of dove at him, hit him in the thigh and, and Cunningham seemingly uh, flies back three or four yards. But his man manages to maintain his balance and, you know, ends up uh, throwing a touchdown pass. So, I, I mean, and, and, you know, we talk about it in the most recent episode. If that team, if that Vikings team gets to the Super Bowl and if they win it, you know, I feel like Randall Cunningham is looked at in a whole different light. You know, I, I think he might be a Hall of Famer. It just goes to show you that legacy and, and things like that are such a fragile and fickle thing. And, and they're often separated by just inches or feet. Let me ask you, I mean, you think of almost champions and you think of Houston and the team that immediately comes to mind is the five slam jamma team. Yeah. If, if mm-hmm. the 30 for 30 hadn't happened do you think you would have started with that oh, one? Maybe? A- absolutely. I, that that would have definitely been the first one out of the box. And and I would wouldn't mind, you know, where, where my son and I are talking about. Well, what what team should we do next? And Faislam Ajama is is one that I think about. But you mentioned the thirty for thirty documentary that that happened. That's pretty recent. So I'm wondering, you know, I think that might need a little bit more time and space to. Before I tackle that, um, the Minnesota Vikings, I know NFL Network had had done a uh, part of their series called Missing Rings, and they were featured in that. But I believe that that series it was done at least maybe five, seven years ago. So there's there was, you know, time and things, you know, it's it doesn't see it's not so fresh in people's minds. So that might be the, the reason why I hold off on doing five slamma jamma. But, yeah, I would love to to dive in there and, and talk with some of those guys. If there's an Oilers team that would fit most in, in your who which 
Which team Ooh. would it be? Wh- which do you think would be the best? Uh... Um, you know, I think of 1979, and then I think of 1993. That's the team that lost to Kansas City in the divisional round. I was at that game at the old Astrodome. Joe Montana? Yeah, Joe Montana leads them on the comeback. And the 79 team was so, it was much different. It wasn't as talented, but they were still Super Bowl worthy. They just had the misfortune of, of having to share the same division and conference with one of the greatest teams of all time. But that 1979 team, the Love You Blue era, and just the love affair it had with the city of Houston, that, that will never, never be matched or equaled again by any team with the city of Houston, just because it was, I mean, you remember late seventies, there weren't any winners coming out of, uh, out of Houston. I mean, the, the Astros had a decent year in 79, but the, uh, the, the Rockets weren't anything to speak of. And the Oilers had some pretty lean years prior to Earl Campbell's arrival. And that was just a, that was just a special time. And I I feel myself feel lucky that I was a, I was a young kid at at the time, but just getting a chance to watch those games and cheer for those guys. That was a cool time. Yeah. I just can't believe Robert with all the sports documentaries that they've done on different teams. uh, To me, the 1979 team, there wasn't a bigger love affair with a Mm -hmm. team and a city. I've tried to explain it a, a few times and I've had on, Dan Pastorini described the scene and and I think Robert or not definitely Robert Brazil described the scene of what it was like uh, to go into the Astrodome after you lose not just not once but twice yeah and that amount of fandom I mean I, I you know from what I understand there were 20,000 people that couldn't even get into the people that were waiting yeah, in the parking so, lot Yeah it was sold it was sold out with the you know when they were welcoming the team home and they not all, they didn't do it once they did it twice at the end of the 78 season, they get blown out in the AFC title game by the Steelers, I think 35 to 3. 79, they have to go to Pittsburgh again, and uh, they score first, Vernon Perry with the, with the pick six. And then that's the game where really started the drumbeat of instant replay because Mike Renfro was robbed of what would have been a game-tying touchdown. So that that was the the controversy that that marred that game. I'm, yeah, that that's where you start your uh, your uh, almost champions right there. Is that? Yeah, right. I mean, and so um, and they lose that game, and there's another sellout crowd waiting for them at uh, at the Astrodome. And of course, the next season is that's when they traded Pastorini. They brought in Ken Stabler. I think they brought in Dave Casper. And that's in that season, they go to Oakland and and lose to the eventual Super Bowl champions. And I think Bum Phillips is fired on, on New Year's Eve, something that uh, Houston sports fans still call the New Year's Day, uh, New Year's Eve massacre. So, yeah, it was it was just a great time. And it's, it was just it was a different time. I mean, we didn't have access to, to highlights and information like we do now. So. Uh, watching the games and and reading the newspaper and and being a fan. It it was a different time, different time. Like a lot of people, there was nobody really to root for in this Super Bowl. It felt like there was a team you didn't want in there and a team that you grew to hate. But the best moment, you know, as I've said on my podcast last week was when Wade Phillips uh, shows up in Bum Phillips hat and jacket. I know, but here's the thing. And and I was on, um, I can't remember who I was talking with. That's the outfit that Bum wore when they lost to the Steelers in that 79 AFC championship game. So I was thinking, man, I don't know. Is that, <laughs> is that bad juju? Maybe you pick out another, another outfit. 
but I, I was I was rooting for the Rams and and um, I like Wade Phillips. He's uh, obviously have strong ties to the city of Houston. He's a University of Houston alum. I'm, I'm just sorry it didn't turn out the way he had hoped. Last thing I got to ask you about, of course, is the Astros and what do you think about their off season, where they're at right now, and and just uh, how the season ended last year with the Red Sox. Well, they clearly weren't healthy. Health was a big problem. I, I will say that even if they were healthy, I'm not sure that they would have beaten the Red Sox. The Red Sox were the best team really from day one of the regular season, and they were the best team throughout the playoffs. The rotation, they have to figure out what their rotation is going to look like at the back end behind Verlander and Cole. And Colin McHugh is going to go from the bullpen back to the rotation. So I think Wade Miley makes some sense. I like that signing. I would love to, I would love to see Dallas Keuchel come back in, in some form or fashion. I love the Michael Brantley signing. I, I still think that they're uh, the, the bullpen getting to Roberto Ozuna. What does that look like? I mean, you lose Joe Smith, Hector Rondon struggled at the end of last season. Chris Davinsky, Brad Peacock, they were left off the postseason roster. So they've got some stuff to figure out. Actually, I think it's a, it's their best bullpen really going into a season because, you know, you, you mentioned Osuna, but you didn't mention the guy that's the, that was their best reliever last year that they picked up in a deal. Oh, that's right. Ryan Presley. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I love Presley. You know, so right now, way too early. I think the Yankees are the favorite to win it all to come out of the American League. But as we all know, long season, a lot of things can change. Throw out once again where people can find Almost Champions. They can find it on iTunes. They can find it on Spotify. They can find it on Stitcher and uh, Spreaker.com. And just search Almost Champions. And uh, we've got uh, episode three up right now. And uh, episode four, we're going to kind of put a bow on everything and wrap it all up. And that'll be available next week. And what's going on uh, MLB Network? Anything fun coming up? Well, we've got the, uh, you know, we're waiting for MLB Central. That'll be uh, the 2019 season of MLB Central. We'll debut on the uh, opening day of the Major League season. So we're looking forward to that and have planning meetings and discussing what we're going to be doing for for this year's show and things like that. We're we're having those meetings in earnest and uh, looking forward to it. Can't wait till baseball season. I think the Astros might be reporting in about a week. So we're looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, go check out Almost Champions for sure. Uh, Thanks so much for doing this, Robert. Really appreciate it. You got it, man. Thanks for having me. Round ball right side. Altuve has it. Throws to first. And the Astros are 2017 World Series champions. This one is for the Astrodome. Towels Hill. And for anyone who wore those gloriously hideous rainbow uniforms. Because for the longest time, the stadium, that hill, and the fashion... Not winning baseball were what this franchise was known for. This one is for 1980 and 86. The New York Mets have won the 1986 National League pennant. Sadness, disappointment, fatigue, you name an element, and it exists. For 97, 98, and 99. For 2004 and 2005. Teams that were good and sometimes great but either weren't good or great enough. The shock, the pain of defeat, the fight all the way. And the disappointment that you see, the gloom in that Houston dugout, so understandable. This one is for J.R. Richard, for Don Wilson, and for Dickie Thon. Names that aren't household but should have been. All bright talents dimmed for different reasons well before their time. 
This one is for Biggio and Bagwell, the franchise's only homegrown Hall of Famers, and all the killer bees. And 2004 Carlos Beltran, because up until then, the Astros never had a player do that. It is gone! And Beltran is tied Barry Bonds for the most home runs in a single postseason. This one is for the naysayers, skeptical of a blueprint that said, you must be ghastly before you can be great. Prospects don't always fulfill their potential. 2017, I don't think the Astros are going to be there yet to win. It's for the people that believe the right pieces can fit together, despite being different shapes and sizes. Oh, Hall of Famers current and future tried to bring a World Series banner to Houston, but failed. Instead, the winning formula was a perfect blend of dynamic talent, youthful swagger, and sage veteran experience. This one is for the people of Houston, a city that's hurting right now and it's going to continue to hurt for a long time. One ravaged by a 500-year flood. This one is for the patch on their chest and the city in their hearts. They did it. For the first time ever, the Astros World Series champions. Who would have ever believed? They freaking did it. Can you believe it? Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. Give us a five-star review on iTunes when you get the chance and tell your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.